Uh, the passage we're going to be looking at today um, is one that the Lord has um, kept before me for 41 years. Uh, it's been 41 years, uh, you know, that, uh, and, and I've needed that. I've needed that continual, this continual, um, often repeated reminder. Let's pray, and we will look at this long-standing verse I've needed in my life. Father, thank you for the way you've already ministered to my heart, the way you've already touched and um, just reminded me of what a great God you are, what a loving God you are, and what a privilege it is to have a relationship with you. Continue to teach us as we look into your word. Thank you for how you have ministered to me over these years with this uh, one verse in particular, but the... um, just a reminder again of that power of your word in our lives. Uh, so may that be true today and each day we ask in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Psalm 15. In particular, it's verse 4. Uh, it's page 491 if you're using the Pew Bible. Uh, 41 years ago, I was a student at Moody Bible Institute. But let me back up just a little bit uh, from there. Um, Ginny and I were married for six years. She was a stay-at-home mom for our two girls. Peter wasn't born yet. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the girls were really quite small still. Uh, I had a very good job at a tool and die shop. I was um, head of the welding department. Don't be impressed. I was the only one in the welding department. So I was also a low man on a totem pole. Uh, but my, my normal work week at that, at that tool and die shop was a 64-hour week. We worked, uh, we, uh, my department, we worked 64 hours, a, my department, me. Uh, we worked 64 hours a week and we went up from there. Uh, it was not unusual at all to have um, more than 64 hours uh, for a week. And... Um, so anyway, we, we also were heavily involved in our church at that time. And then life got even busier. Uh, God, uh, we followed God's leading, we felt. And I applied and was accepted uh, to be a student at Moody Bible Institute. So uh, Jenny took in a couple of kids for babysitting to, to help earn money uh, because we still had to eat. And um, I became a full-time student. I took a part-time job at a factory and we were still serving in several positions at the church uh, that we attended. And 41 years ago, we were in the second year of this whirlwind of me being the full-time student and everything. Uh, and I had an assignment for one of my classes, and the assignment was to do a more in-depth study of one of the Psalms. Now, that was added to the papers and books and reading that we already had in college. One of the things I have, uh, you you very quickly learn when you go to college is that each professor thinks that that is the only class you're taking. At least it seems that way from the workload that they give you. Um, It doesn't really matter much how many other classes you have. You took this class and this is what you're going to do. So I very clearly remember going to the library in Crowell Hall at Moody on the eighth floor And I was in there, and I started flipping through the book of Psalms. And, uh, you know, know, just right up front here, I chose Psalm 15 because it was only five verses long. That was my criteria for choosing this psalm. 
Uh, You know, it's two short questions there. You see there in verse 1, it's really only one question asked two ways. And then it's followed by one long sentence that stretches for four verses, at least in the the NIV, uh, which is what I was using at that time for this study. And also in the Holman Christian Standard, it's just followed by one long sentence. And if you know me, um, I can do long sentences sometimes. And Jenny says, that can't all be one sentence. I said, sure it is. Uh, But anyway, um, you know, but I felt I felt, you know, the five verses was long enough for me to to meet the required length of the paper that I had to do and to be able to uh, get into it and short enough where it still wouldn't bog me down for too long. I could, uh, you know, I, I could get this done and get it in there. Now, a bonus for me was that I was not at all familiar with it, so everything was new. Uh, you know, as I was reading through it, it's like, wow, look at that. Um, you know, but it was the last phrase of verse 4 that really has stuck with me over these last 41 years. Now, in the Holman Christian Standard, it says, who despises, you're coming in in the middle of a sentence, but remember, because it's one long sentence in the NIV and the Holman Christian. It says, who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keep his word, whatever the cost. Now, when I say the NIV, I'm talking about the 1984 edition of the New International Version. I am not a fan of the newer, politically more politically correct version of the New International Version. If you have it, it's, a, it's, it, it's okay. Um, you know, it's still a handy Bible, but it's a 1984 version that got my attention and the phrase that sticks with me. In the 1984 version, it says, Who despises a vile man, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath, even when it hurts. Now, there's the phrase that stuck with me. Who keeps his oath, even when it hurts. And it still sticks with me today. And, and phrased that way is how it sticks with me today. Now, some of the other translations that we have make it a little bit easier for us to understand in today's vernacular, you know, how we talk. We don't really talk this way. I've never said that to somebody other than quoting this verse that I know. Uh, the Holman Christian Standard words that who keeps his word, whatever the cost. Uh, the English Standard Version says, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Uh, New American Standard, he takes an oath to his own detriment and does not change. Uh, the Amplified Bible, I, I like the way they word it too, who keeps his word even to his own disadvantage and does not change it for his own benefit. Uh, the, the New Living Translation says, and keeps their promises even when it hurts. And the New Living Bible says, keeps a promise even if it ruins him. That gives you a picture, you know, all of those different translations. I'd encourage you, you know, when you, when you study a passage, read it in several different versions. And, and some of those will grab your attention more than others and will help you get a fuller one. Well, verse 4 here, it's part of a bigger picture, really, that is calling us to be people of integrity before or with regard uh, to our relationship, you know, with the Lord. Now, you know, of all the ones we should be keeping our word with, of all the ones that we should be keeping our oath with, uh, the Lord should be the leader of that pack. No matter what's going on in our life, no matter what's happening, uh, keeping our promise to God it should be, you know, right up there in, in the forefront of what we do. It seems that's what this whole psalm is teaching us. You know, that this whole psalm is teaching us that it is important to keep your promise to God. Now, there, if, if your basis is there, that will help you in applying the rest of what you see in this psalm. If you start with the reality of keeping your promise to God, uh, you know, in a marriage relationship, 
if the best thing you can do is to keep your promise that you made to God when you married that other person. Because they are not going to be worth loving sometimes, but not to hurt your feelings, but you know, here it comes. You are not worth loving sometimes either. That's why you base your relationships and your relationship of marriage. You base your relationship with other people. You base your relationship with your employer. You base your relationship with your neighbor. You base your relationship with your enemies all on your promise to God. You see, that's where it has to come from. That's where it has to start. When you come into a relationship with God, you know, a big part of what you are doing is promising to follow him. You are saying, you know, Lord, I am, I am coming and I am giving my life to you and I'm going to follow you. I mean, this is what we're saying to him. You realize that your way is not enough. You realize that your way never will be enough. So you come to God and you tell him, you know, that you need him. And you accept his, you accept his way and you're going to live his way. Lord, I cannot do this. I need you in my life. And I'm going to live my life for you. Keep that oath. Keep that promise to God, even when it hurts. And this is what he's telling us here in the psalm. Now, several ways to look at the psalm. Uh, let's read through it first. It's only five verses. Verse 1, here we go. Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? The one who lives honestly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges the truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue. Who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor. Who despises the one rejected by the Lord, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his word, whatever the cost, who does not lend his money at interest or take a bribe against the innocent. The one who does these things will never be moved. Now, as I was studying this and um, again, got into it uh, even more than before, um, I thought rather than make um, three sermons out of this and lose the continuity uh, that goes, I am I'm going to abbreviate and uh, cover the whole thing and really kind of cover a lot of material today. I believe you'll still have something to take away from this and, um, you know, to apply to your life. But I also believe that you'll walk away with some questions and some things to look at further, you know, and to dig into a little bit more. Now, this psalm is written to God's people. This is written to those who claim to have a relationship with God. This is not evangelistic. This is not telling you how to have a relationship with God. That isn't what he's talking about here. He isn't talking about how you have a relationship with God, that you do these things and work your way into it. This is not at all what he's saying. Rather, what he's saying is what a relationship with God looks like. You know, what a relationship with God, you know, what it does to people, how people are, how people should be changed by their relationship with God. This is what he's telling us. It opens with two questions, really kind of almost one question asked two ways. Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? Again, if you look at some of the other translations, they give you a little bit broader picture. Um, English Standard Version, who will sojourn in your tent? Who will dwell 
on your holy hill. New American Standard says, who will reside in, who will settle on. Uh, the Amplified Bible says, who may lodge, who will dwell continually. I think what we're, what we're looking at here, what he's saying is, what is it like to do life with you, Lord? What is it like to walk together in the cool of the day with you, as we read in Genesis? What is it like to do life? What is it like to walk along with you? You know, how is it, you know, how is it, what, what, what's, what, what, what is it that's happening as we do life with you? Notice what he says, you know, who will sojourn? Who can dwell? Who? What type of person? What is a person who regularly walks with you like? What, 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 is, what is reflected in their life? And then following their 10, depending on how you want to divide these, are 10 or 11 qualities, characteristics, 10 or 11 areas of life that are affected by a real, real relationship with God. Now let me give you a warning here. Don't look at these as a moral checklist of things to accomplish. Do not look at it that way. This is what we fall into sometimes. We fall into looking at this and uh, looking at God's word and we look at things and we say, ah, done that. And we put our little mental check mark behind there. Don't look at it this way. I'm, I'm very purposely not going to explain each one of those words or phrases to you. I'm very purposely not going to do that because I don't want us to fall into this moral checklist of, of what's going on. Rather, as you look at this, you know, look at it as, as becoming this type of person. That more and more these things will, will be characteristics of our life, you know, and, and that, that we will have these and they will be growing in us. It, it is not necessarily uh, that accomplishment that we're looking to get to. It is a life that, that reflects these, that grows in these, that exudes these, if you will, and that it comes out of us. These are qualities God creates in a person who puts priority on what you see there, living in constant, regular relationship with God, who can dwell in your tent who can sojourn with you? Who can walk with you? Who is it that can settle on? Who, who is it that can reside in? Who is it that can dwell continually with you? What's it like? What kind of qualities? One whose life is guided by a relationship with God. A life that's transformed by the reality of God. And effort invested, effort invested in that relationship. You see... It's effort that's invested into the relationship that brings about this transformation. It's, uh, this is about someone who gives themselves unreservedly to God. That they're not holding anything back. That they are opening their entire life to God. And these changes come about. Look verse 2. He says, one who lives honestly, blameless, some of the translations say. One who walks with integrity. One who walks with integrity and strength of character. You see, this is a life that is consistently dedicated to the way of God. There is a high degree of consistency in living for God. A high degree of consistency in investing time in this relationship with God. This is not without blemish. 
You know, when he talks about being blameless, we were talking about this at the men's Bible study on Tuesday morning. You know, blameless. What does it mean to be blameless? It's the same thing here as in, in uh, Titus that we're, that we're looking at that. You know, it, it's not without blemish, but it is without making excuses for behaving in a manner unworthy of God. You do not make excuses for behaving in a manner unworthy of God. When you see those things there, you give yourself once again unreservedly to God. It's a consistency of character that is in line with God's character. When he's talking about being blameless, living honestly, walking with integrity. That consistency of character that's totally in line with God's character. Or in line with God's character more and more. And growing in being in line with God's character. One whose fundamental impulse is that of honesty, transparency, because of whose he is. Because I am God's and I am God's person, because I have this relationship with God and I am his, then this is, this is what flows from my life. This is what gets reflected in my life. Because I know whose I am, then I am going to be a person of integrity. I'm going to be a person of blameless character. Not because of me, but because of my relationship to God, because of who God is and my relationship with him. And, and this is, this is what, what you know, he, he's talking about here, you know, whose we are. It's clearly living in line with God and having no hidden agenda. We sometimes come to God and we have this little agenda we want to accomplish. I'm going to give myself to you, Lord, so that I can fill in the blank. Sometimes it's so that I can, so that I can get this or that. Well, maybe you've grown beyond that. But I'm going to have this relationship with you so that I can become this or that. No, I have this relationship with you because I need to have this relationship with you. I I have this relationship with you because it is something I want in my life, you in my life. You know, that consistency, that that whole picture of who he is, no hidden agendas. It's, it's It's a pattern of conduct that is beyond the reach of public reproach. One of the things we were talking about on Tuesday, you know, is that, that nothing will stick in the sense of, of, of the fact that, you know, if somebody says, you know, this is what they did, you know, that's so out of character for them. It's not that we don't ever mess up. It's that those mess ups are so out of character for us that a character in line with God is much more the picture of who we are. The word refers to a wholeness, a a soundness, a a life that is consistent. You know, that the the, the internal harmony and the outward living are consistent. That there's a consistency there. It says, you know, who practices righteousness, who does what is right. I found it interesting. That's a legal term. It's a legal term that describes the, the appropriate course of action for a particular circumstance. That they did, they did what should be done. You know, that this situation came up and they did what should be done. You know, that they were, that they were practicing righteousness. That they responded in a way that they should have responded. You know, it's one who doesn't apply their own standards to righteousness. We don't apply our own standards, but we're fully committed to what God says regarding right and wrong. It doesn't change because our society changes. What God says is still true. 
We go by what God says is acceptable. We understand and live by what God says is destructive. We live by what God says is appropriate and inappropriate. He is the one who sets the standard for us. Practices righteousness, does what is right, acknowledges the truth in his heart and speaks no slander. That's where the inner thoughts and the audible speech are in agreement. With what we're thinking and what's coming out of our mouth are, are in agreement. We're not two-faced. We're not, we're, you know, we're not a double-minded person. James warns about that. You know, he says, what, is, what is said is consistent with those true convictions of our heart. Verse 2 and 3 really have a focus on what one says, if you look at those verses. And what one says, you know, that includes how they say it and the intent of what, what is said, you know, that life lived and the words said are true and accurate reflection of the heart. Jesus mentions that in Luke chapter 6. He says a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from bramble bushes. A good man produces good out of the good storeroom of his heart. An evil man produces evil out of the evil storeroom, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Did you see what, what he's showing us here? He's talking about good fruit and good treasures, you know, and all, all come from a good person. And we're, we begin thinking of our actions. Sure, our, our actions are a part of that, but notice what he does here. He defines it in terms as to what comes out of your mouth. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. And as your heart is more broadly, more deeply uh, transformed by God, your speech will be transformed. You know, and what comes out of your mouth will reflect the power and person of God at work in your life. Oh, I remember that battle. I remember that battle when we like to blame other situations. We like to blame other people. And when I worked at that tool and die shop, uh, I've told you before, um, swearing, curse words, foul, vile things were simply descriptive adjectives that we used in describing anything from what we were working on to the person we were talking to. Uh, you know, and that was just a normal thing. And I remember my, you know, my mom telling me. Um, that at night when I would talk, she said, boy, you swear a blue streak when you're sleeping. I kind of liked blue, but I assumed it wasn't a good thing that she was telling me there. But what I noticed is, you know, that was the way I talked all the time. It wasn't just at work. You know, it, it, that was the way and what came out of my mouth. And I remember when I came to Christ and came into a relationship with him, and you would think that right away you would stop doing that. I'd like to tell you at first that I wanted to stop doing it, but at first I didn't realize how much of a normal speech pattern that had become for me. But I remember then 
you know, as I grew in the Lord and, you know, realized, Lord, I, I want to reflect you more. I want, this does not honor you. The way I'm speaking does not honor you. The way I'm speaking really is an offense to you, Lord, and I don't wish to offend you. Interestingly enough, I didn't mind offending the other people, but that's just an honest statement. I listen to last week's sermon if you're wondering what I'm talking about there. I, I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily mind offending the other person, but I more and more began being bothered by offending God. And I remember it was a struggle. It was a battle, that speech. And when I realized that that speech then was a reflection of my heart, Ooh, that was rough. You know, in that battle to give myself so much to God that he transformed my heart so much that those things were no longer what would automatically come out of my life or out of my mouth. I used to, uh, every once in a while, I haven't done this for a long time, give people in the church a test. Um, when when uh, you didn't know I was behind you in the car and the light turned green and I'd honked the horn. And nobody's ever, nobody from church has ever cussed me out. Um, you know, but, uh, but what comes out of our mouth when those unexpected things happen? What comes out of our mouth when we, you know, when we hit our thumb with the hammer, when we, you know, when we stub our toe on, on, the, on the stinking chair leg? I just don't understand how that always happens. It's like there's a magnet there. Boom. Oh, my gosh. You gotta be kidding. Uh, what comes what is What are those first things that come out of our mouth and what does it tell us then about what needs to be transformed, what we need to yet give to God? You know, and what we need to turn over to him. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. And sometimes that was just an indication to me of how much more deeply my heart needed to be drawn into God's. So that those would not be the things that came out of my mouth. It says, among those transformations, notice what it says, you will speak truth. And you'll avoid slander. This is, this is what he brings up in the psalm here. You'll speak truth. You'll avoid slander. And you'll do that in increasing measures. You see, because it's not only cursing. There's that slander and what we say about others. You will avoid those in increasing measure. More and more you will realize what an offense this is to God. And you want to draw your heart deeper into him so that, that he, so that those things change. Our speech reveals, you know, that we're God's child. What it reveals is if we're committed to and living our relationship with Christ. And here's the deal. No matter what the opposition is, no matter what our level of frustration is, not, you know, no matter how angry, how tired, how confused we are, we keep our oath to God. We keep that promise that we made to God that I am yours. Our speech reveals we're God's child. It reveals if, you know, if a person is committed to living our relationship with Christ or if we're simply playing religion. 
Do I really want to live my life for him? Am I simply playing games? The first part of verse 4 can be misunderstood. It says that he despises the one rejected by the Lord. Uh, what it is, it was, what we're doing is we're mirroring God's attitude toward evil. It's not that we're bad-mouthing these people. It's that you align yourself with God and you take no pleasure in evil. That evil doesn't bring any pleasure to you. God is holy. You know, he's holy and he, and, and it is... He is incompatible with sin. Sin is an incompatible uh, relationship with him. And his people, as his people, were called to the same holiness. You see, holiness is an important thing to God. Leviticus chapter 11. For I am Yahweh your God, so you must consecrate yourselves and be holy Because I am holy. You see, it's because of that relationship with God. It's because of the depth and an increasing depth of that relationship with God. You know, that you're holy because he is holy. And as our life is drawn deeper into a walk with him, you're holy because I am holy. You must not defile yourselves by any swarming creatures that crawl on the ground. For I am Yahweh who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God And in case you didn't get it when I said it the first time, so you must be holy because I am holy. And that relationship with me, Leviticus chapter 19. Speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them, be holy because I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. You'll notice it's not because of anything that's going on around you. It's not because of what you're doing. It's because of who God is. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, for I am Yahweh your God. Matthew chapter 5. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his Sight, because of my relationship with Him, because of whose I am, because I have made a promise to God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. When's the last time you've pursued holiness? 1 Peter chapter 1 But as the one who called you is holy, You also are to be holy in all your conduct. You too are to be holy between 10.30 and 11.45 on a Sunday morning. And after that, don't worry too much about it. Just wait until you get back together with those at 10.30 next Sunday. That's not what he says at all. What he says is, be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy. Why? Because I'm holy. And you have a relationship with me. And you have made a promise to me when you came to me and gave me your life. Be holy then as I am holy. Holiness is important to God and it becomes important to his people. And I realize sometimes that my conduct is not pleasing to God, is not holy to God. And what I do is draw myself deeper into my relationship with him.
connect with, honor, follow, spend time with those who fear the Lord rather than those whose conduct the Lord despises. You see, our conduct is in line. That those things that bother God bother us. You know, follow the example of those who want a deeper relationship with God and those who are doing something to make it happen. Part of what he's telling us here is, you know, don't envy those. Don't envy those whose lifestyle mocks God. Don't make them your your example. Don't make them your very best friend. If what they do is live a life that mocks God, what do you think they're going to want you to do with them? Despises a vile man. Don't make that person the example you follow. Don't make that person the one who's going to to rub off on you. Verse 5 deals with how we treat those who need help. He says, who does not lend his money at interest or take a bribe against the innocent. That's, those, those deal with how we treat those who, who need help. I like a more literal translation of this one here. A, a, little, a more literal translation is that one who does not lend his money with a bite. I thought, oh, oh, that's, that's interesting. Does not lend his money with a bite. Have you ever have you ever stopped to add up all your house payments over 10, 15, 25, 30 years, however long you have your loan for? Did you ever stop and add those all up and see how much you paid for you're paying for that house? Just a thought for you here. I don't want to frustrate you, um, maybe motivate you. What I want you to there then that thing about uh, you know who lends money with a bite that'll 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 get your attention then. You know, you say, I just got this. We just got our statement on, on our house, you know, uh, in the mail this last week on how much of what we paid went to principal, how much. Well, let me rephrase that. We got a we got a statement of how much went to interest, how much went to escrow, which is how much didn't go to principal. Um, you know, and, and, and sometimes um, you, you feel that bite. What he's saying is you don't do this, you don't, you don't do this with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't, you don't do that. You don't lend money at interest. You don't take a bribe against the innocent. How you treat those who need help. There's many warnings about not taking financial advantage of those who need help. In Exodus, uh, he says, if you lend money to my people... To the poor person among you, you must not be like the money lender to him. You must not charge him interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as collateral, return it to him before sunset. For it's his only covering. It is the clothing for his body. What will he sleep in? And if he cries out to me, I'll listen to him because I'm compassionate. Hmm. God's compassionate. And as we grow deeper, Lord, who may walk on your holy hill? Who may dwell in your tent? As we walk and grow in our relationship with God, we become more like him. He is compassionate. As we grow in our relationship with him, we we pick up and we reflect more and more of his qualities. Leviticus chapter 25, if your brother becomes destitute, cannot sustain himself among you, you are to support him as a foreigner or temporary resident so that he can continue 
to live among you. Uh, do not profit or take interest from him, but fear your God and let your brother live among you. You see, he's talking here about relationships with others who have a relationship with God as we do. He refers to them as brothers here. If your brother, you know, let your brother. He's talking about those who have a relationship with God as we do and that we don't take advantage of them when the chips are down, if you will. Why? Because we grow deeper in our relationship with God. And as we do that, we live, we want to live a life more that pleases Him. As you walk with God, you grow in Him, you become more like Him. You take on more of the qualities of God. So that means you begin to treat others as He would. You live a life constantly and consistently dedicated to the way of God. Your speech reveals your commitment to God. You connect more with those who fear God and not those who reject Him. You know, you take on more of the qualities of God. These are part of keeping your promise to God. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it costs us something. He who keeps His word... He who keeps his promise, even when it hurts. You know, for us as imperfect humans in a relationship with a perfect God, um, these qualities can be discouraging because we see how far we fall short. We read these and we see how far we fall short. Now, the, the call for us is that we're growing in these areas, not that we're ignoring them. There's the call for you. Not to ignore them, not to excuse yourself. Not to say, you know, well, I'm, I'm only human. Not because of your moral frailty at all. It's not that we're doing each of these without failure. But rather, it's that we are not failing to see each one of these areas as important. Not that we don't fail, but that we don't fail to see them as important. And we don't see, you know, we don't fail to see that, you know, we, we want to conduct ourselves. And that, this, that God calls us to this conduct into a growing, full-orbed, deeper relationship with him. This is the character we're striving for, grasping for. This is the character that, you know, that, that we should be aligning our life under. We're not ignoring any of them. We're not lessening them in our lives. We're not saying that it really doesn't matter. We don't lessen the importance of being transformed by the grace of God in our lives and the grace of God at work in each one of these areas of our character. We keep our promises to God even when it hurts. Even when it's a struggle. Even when it's a battle. Even when, my gosh, am I ever going to get this right? swears to his own hurt who keeps his life in line with God even when it hurts even when it's work even when it's a struggle even when it's a battle why? because I have promised a relationship with you Lord and I want to walk deeper into that relationship with you Let's pray. We're going to sing a song that gives you an opportunity. I hope you sing it to the Lord. Take my life and let it be holy, consecrated unto thee.
Father, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for the way in which you have called us to be your people. Thank you for the way in which you have allowed us to be your people, even though sometimes we're stupid, even though sometimes we're lazy, even though sometimes we're we're beat down by what's around us. Help us not to stay there. Help us to get back up and to be the people you've called us to be, people who live out our promise to you, who live out that promise of a relationship with you, and to live in and through and from that relationship with you, our great, loving, and powerful God, who is able to help us become more than we could ever ask or imagine through his power at work within us. We say that often, Father. Help us to live it now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.